0: Hi there, thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection and some valuable takeaways. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page or Instagram account and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to season two of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. I'm really excited about today's guest um, because as you know, if you've listened to some of my solo episodes, I'm constantly wondering about my neurotypical daughter, Kendall, and her perspective on growing up in a home with autism as the predominant focus of our attention. So my special guest today is Jenna Capis. Jenna works for her local intermediate unit, assisting in both the desktop publishing and behavioral health departments. She is a graduate of Susquehanna University with a dual major in creative writing and publishing and editing. She has recently finished drafting the manuscript to her debut memoir titled Flipping the Behavioral Plan, A Sibling's Perspective on Asperger's, where she unpacks the realities of life with Lauren, her older sister who has Asperger's syndrome. She also runs her own blog titled The Sibling Diary, where she continues her passion of bringing awareness to the realities of having a family member on the autism spectrum. So please enjoy my chat with Jenna. So I'm really excited about today's episode of Living the Sky Life. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to siblings of someone on the spectrum because it's such a perspective that we as parents all are very curious about. And um, (laughs) those of us with neurotypical children in our families also, sometimes it's hard to get them to open up to us. So my guest today is Jenna Capus, and um, she's going to hopefully share all the things that we need to know. So welcome to the podcast, Jenna.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I had mentioned to you before, I found your blog, The Sibling Diary, um, as, almost as soon as you started it, I think, and I was blown away by all of the things that you're posting. Um, I had so many questions and you answered a lot of them. Uh, it's just great to get your perspective. So, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about just kind of going back before you started the blog? about your older sister. Um, I know that she has Asperger's and how old is she? She's 31. 31, yeah. okay. And, uh, remind me her name. Her name is Lauren. Lauren, mm-hmm. yes. So Lauren is 31. Um, what about your childhood and kind of growing up in your family dynamic? I know you have a brother also. Um, is he younger than you?
1: My brother's 28, so we're all three years apart. okay.
0: Gotcha. So what was Mm -hmm. that kind of like? I mean, Lauren was the first child, so that's all you and your brother really knew.
1: Yeah, we, me and my brother definitely approached being a sibling different. My brother handled it a lot easier. And I don't know if it was because he was a guy, but um, right off the bat, me and Lauren struggled a lot in our relationship. And part of that dynamic was I was just her little buddy. Like yeah. I was a baby and my mom would say that Lauren loved to play with me, hold me. But then as I got older and I made friends outside of the house, that's when Lauren sort of started to feel replaced. And I think because of her Asperger's, you can say, you know, that term isn't used anymore, but that's right. what she was diagnosed with. So that's what we use. Um, I don't think she, she was able to really communicate how she was feeling. And so we would just... Fight like cats and dogs Mm -hmm. growing up all the time. Um, And my, you know, now I'm in this different phase of my life where I'm in adulthood, I'm establishing myself in my career. My brother just got engaged. So we're a lot, you know, we're kind of really removed from childhood. And having all those years now that, that has passed me by, I've been able to really reflect on growing up and everything that I needed that I didn't have. Um, particularly just not having the visibility of an an older neurotypical sibling who had been through what I had been through to look up to and to talk to. And so now that's what I'm trying to do for the next generation.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and it takes obviously nobody in their childhood years would be as reflective and say, gosh, I wonder, I think she's probably doing this because of this. Um, I mean, it takes a lot of years. And um, I just, I think a lot of parents tell me too. And and I think all the time, I just want to avoid any resentment that my daughter might have in the future. Like look back on her childhood and think, gosh, you know, I didn't get to do like a normal Easter egg hunt because my brother, you know, couldn't go or he attacked kids or whatever. And just all of the child rites of passage that you go through have to be altered in so many ways because of your sibling. Um, you know, did you wrestle with those things as an adult or did I mean with your parents, do you talk about it with your parents?
1: Um, you know, for me, I, I did struggle and this might not be something you want to hear, but when I was about 18, 17 or 18, I did deal with a lot of resentment towards my mom in particular because my parents are divorced. And so we all lived with my mom and she was mm-hmm. mostly, my dad was still involved, but my mom was the primary caregiver and I didn't feel like they made my relationship with Lauren a priority. You know, people tried to get involved and, and help out a little bit, you know, her aides and her therapists and her CIs and the BSCs and whatnot but it wasn't ever really made a priority. And I did struggle with resentment and anger. Um, And that's just something that I think every kid, you know, might have to go through a little bit of their own. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wish, you know, looking back, I, I do wish that my mom had kind of asked me, like, what could we do to help you? Like, what would really, really help? And I wish that she would have asked me that question. I, I would have told her that I felt voiceless at home and I wanted, I wanted my feelings to count. I wanted to be heard and I wasn't really heard too much. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you know, as you get older, you do realize that your sibling is different. And there's so many skills that Lauren has to learn and continues to learn that I already have. And so having that perspective really helps. It helps me to just see that, you know, life is going to be unfair, but I think Lauren, in all honesty, was kind of handed the most unfair piece of the pie. And that does put things into perspective and it does, you know, help the anger to go away.
0: Yeah. I mean, but obviously you have you're entitled to the way you feel and it isn't fair. It's not fair to anybody in a family that has, uh, someone with disability in their family, it, it changes the dynamic for everyone. I mean, your parents, you know, speaking from a parent perspective, I mean, we try to do the best we can. We make a ton of mistakes because we just don't know how to make everybody feel special and everybody feel important. Um, you know, that kind of brings me to one of your blog posts that you wrote that I loved so much um, was titled, If Only My Parents Knew This. Are those some of the things that you cover in that blog post? Um, just that you've kind of revelations that you've had later in life about, you know, including you in some of the discussions and things like oh, that. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. And there's one excerpt I can share too from it, um, particularly on that, on that kind of same vein. Um, so I can read a little bit if that's sure. okay. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, so she starts, over the, over the last few years, I discovered Lauren's behavioral plans and was shocked to find that, though the years changed, most of her goals remained the same. She still needed help completing her ADLs, identifying and ex- expressing her feelings and learning how to be more comfortable with overwhelming stimuli. In childhood, I can remember sitting at my wooden dining room table, both my family and the BSC present. We discussed Lauren and mine's issues, but it seemed that our relationship never became a priority. On one hand, I get it. Having a good relationship with your sister may not seem as important as maintaining eye contact or learning to change your underwear after shower. It's not as important as learning to write legibly or developing social skills in structured and non-structured settings, but it should be. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that is yeah, ho- That is really hard. When it comes to goal setting, um, my son um, is 18 and a lot of the goals that we have set out the majority of his years were, um, you know, trying to get him to communicate because he's nonverbal currently. Um, and we were so focused on skills and those kind of things. And then as he aged, we began shifting to, um, self-care and independence with like brushing his teeth and Mm -hmm. feeding himself and all of those things. And I, it's never really crossed my mind while I know his relationship with my daughter is pretty terrible, I mean, she kind of just hides out in a room when he's out and about being fed, doing all of his things. Um, And then she'll come out when he goes to bed. And I hate that. And I never even considered putting that in as a goal. You know, we want him to be able to be in public and to not hit people and sit at a restaurant without causing all Mm -hmm. kinds of chaos and all that. But it just, like I said, never dawned on me until you wrote that, that that should be a a major priority, uh, more so than people in public, his own family. He should be able to learn how to keep his Mm -hmm. hands to himself, not pull her hair, not hit her and all the things that he does to her. And I know that your sister was a little aggressive with you
1: or maybe she still is with her hands, (laughs) her behavior. Yeah, um, so I guess to kind of go back, like for my, my personal story with my sister, when I was doing research for my memoir, I looked through all of my parents, my parents have kept all of our schoolwork and all of her behavioral plans. um, And that was a goldmine for me. And I discovered, um, you know, uh, my sister's behavioral plans from 2003, which were some of her earliest ones when she was like 12 or 13. And that would make me like six or seven. And that was when uh, some of the first goals about our relationship was put on her behavioral plans. And then there were kind of like mini goals, like Jenna and Lauren will spend an hour together, you know, but they were, they were, they were not as important as the, the other goals of learning to shower, to change your underwear. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that Lauren still, you know, doesn't really grasp or understand because she has a hard time with abstract concepts and just so many things that come natural to like neurotypicals like you and me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think looking back on my own relationship with Lauren, I don't know what it's like to have a sibling who is nonverbal. So it would probably be a little bit different dynamic for Kendall and Skylar, but for me and Lauren, there was just a lot of failed expectations and unmet expectations. And, we're siblings, you know, she, I think, expects me to kind of, I think she expected me to know how she felt, and to want to spend time with her, and to reach out to her more, and I didn't do that, you know, that was on me, and when you're a kid, you don't think about those things either, um, and I think you expect to, you expect for your sibling to recognize the pain that you have, you know, and, and to want to be your best friend and be around you all the time. And when you don't have those expectations met, like bitterness grows and resentment grows. And me and my sister, you know, we definitely fought way, way more than me and my brother did. And over the years, we both sort of, I don't think, I don't know if there was any particular like lightning bolt that happened, but we both started to just mellow out. (laughs) That's kind of what I say, like fighting is exhausting. (laughs) And we both just started to like, Lauren, Lauren learned really great coping skills where if she was getting angry or if I was like, you know, I'm still her sister. So sometimes I would tease her on purpose. She would go up to her room to cool off. And she got really good at like certain coping skills that did benefit our relationship a lot. And we just got to the point where we, you know, we're not today, we're not close as in like I think what maybe other siblings have, sure. but we have we have achieved something where we we no longer fight, we are able to enjoy one another, um, be around each other. And it's not, I guess what I thought it would always look like, but it's still something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, that's what you always hope for is that you have a lifelong relationship and it evolves. You've matured. She's matured. Um, Things, you know, change over time. You had mentioned that, you know, in early on that you and your brother cope with all of these things a little bit differently. Was he more um, just kind of uh, escaped from it? I mean, did he kind of do his own thing and kind of leave the house and? Hang out with his friends and do other things, um, or did he just? How did he process differently than you?
1: Well, on the surface, he processed it much better than me. I coped horribly with it. But um, mm-hmm. Aaron, I think he, I don't know if it's his personality, but he was always more empathetic than me. He would forgive Lauren right away. He would bring his friends over the house. I never felt comfortable doing that, but. He just, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just him being a guy uh-huh. or just kind of, kind of just having that, oh, it's whatever attitude. But I think that that's something that I could have learned from and other siblings could probably learn from where sometimes you just, you just invite your friends over and you don't worry about what happens. You don't worry if your sibling has a tantrum. Like it's okay. It's going to be okay. And, you know, there are even times like just to share something more personal. Um, it was my sister's 18th birthday and she volunteers at, um, live local libraries. And so she was volunteering at our local hospitals library. And my mom said, Hey, can you go pick Lauren up? And then we'll all go out to dinner to my brother. So my brother went and picked her up. And when he drove her home, he was taking a different route than she typically goes. And she got really like flustered, anxious, and she ended up pretty much smacking him in the head while he was driving and he had to defend himself in the car and they came home in hysterics. It was a whole, you know, a whole mess of things. And now like, keep in mind, Lauren struggles with like new routines and things like that can cause like debilitating anxiety. But that night when he came home, I refused to go out to dinner with my family because I was so upset and angry about what happened and my brother went and he he was the one who was attacked (laughs) yeah and so he's always like my brother's always just been so forgiving you know and he was he was still angry that that happened he was still affected by it but he just had the ability I think to maybe compartmentalize in ways that I couldn't Mm -hmm. um, or in ways that I should have but that's kind of like how he coped with it he was just he always like Understood that you know Lauren's different, and I'd rather be on her side and defending her, even when she's wrong, than than allow that anger to build up. To build up.
0: Do you think that um, you know, looking back on it now, that you said you didn't really invite friends over to the house, um, and my daughter is the same way. She refuses to. She doesn't even want to celebrate her birthdays with anyone beyond us, um, and have a few friends over to swim or to like just whatever. And I often ask her, is it because you're embarrassed? And she won't really tell me. She's just like, no, I just, I don't, I don't like a lot of people around. And we'll get into that too, because she suffers greatly from anxiety and depression. Um, And I know that that's something that we're going to talk about with you as well. But um, do you, I mean, do you know why you were that way? Was it embarrassment of Lauren and her behaviors or unpredictability of what she might do?
1: Yeah, I would say it was a little bit of that. I also didn't share with my friends that my sister had Asperger's. It took me two years to tell my best friend from high school that my sister had Asperger's. I mean, I just, I, I don't think I really knew how to explain it to people. And so for me, I think that was, it was, you know, the embarrassment, and the embarrassment but it was also, I didn't, I wasn't able to explain to people and, The first time I had friends over the house was for a birthday party. It was a surprise 18th birthday party. And I was the same way with my mom. I was saying, mom, do not plan anything for me. Do not invite people over. (laughs) And um, she conspired with my best friend to basically go against my wishes and have people come over. And um, within like the first 20 minutes, my sister ended up Crying and breaking down, and had you know a little bit of a issue, and my friends looked at me and they said, "You know, is your sister okay? What's what's wrong with her? Like, what's going on?" And I said, and it was just that moment where I just yeah. felt like, "Oh my gosh, it's happening! It's happening! It's all coming in at once. Yeah. I have to talk about it now, like it's do or die." And so I said, "Well, she has special needs. She has Asperger. She has Asperger. So sometimes she." Um, you know, has trouble processing, you know, her environments and she breaks down. And my friends were like, oh, okay. And then we continued on with the night and it was fine. And I think sometimes I know for me and with anxiety too, you can build up a moment to be so big, so towering that it's really scary. But in reality, you can still have a great time, and have your friends over. And, you know, every kid is different, Mm -hmm. but- For me, I think it was a combination of the two.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's probably hard because you just don't want to answer questions all the time, especially on a day that was supposed to be all about you, even if you didn't initially want it to be that way, but just to celebrate you for once and not have anything to do with autism and special needs and all of that. It's, you know, one day out of the year that you would prefer to not have to deal with that. And you ultimately ended up having to (laughs) dive deep into it when you didn't really want to. I can imagine that that's, that's probably a struggle and it would keep a lot of kids from having a lot of friends over or in their environment. Cause it's kind of a safe environment. It's like a family secret sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't know, I'm so vocal and so open. So uh, by default, my poor daughter, I mean, does can't hide from any of it because I talk about it. She gave me permission to talk about her anxiety and some of those things. And I think that's such a huge topic that a lot of parents ask about with their neurotypical children. Um, If, you know, if they're going through anxiety or depression, like what do we do and how do we identify those things? And, um, you know, so can you shed a little bit of light about when you kind of realized that you were dealing with some pretty significant anxiety, depression, um, and, how your parents helped you or if your mom was able to help you, if you allowed that, just kind of what, how it all began and what we need to do.
1: Yeah. So my mom's a nurse and when you have any family member in like the medical community, you can't really ever separate the mom from the nurse. So she's always, you know, if I get a cut or if I am, you know, hurting in some way, she's always like ready with 10 steps to like help me. Um, So she noticed, I think, that, you know, I was, I spent, I think I spent like at least a summer in depression when I was like 17. And, um you know, you just kind of want to sleep all the time. You go to bed crying every night and it's, it's really hard. And for me, my mom uh, was supportive of, you know, kind of um, seeing if I wanted to go to therapy, take medication. And I tried out going to therapy a couple of times, but it wasn't really what I what I vibed with what I really enjoyed doing Um, and so I think for me the depression sort of lifted the more I got perspective on what was going on because as neurotypical siblings sometimes I think we feel that our four walls in our house is all we're going to see for the rest of our lives like this is our life but there's such a bigger life waiting for you And, you know, I have a boyfriend now, I have a great career. I have, um, you know, I'm working on a memoir that I'm really excited about. And life is so much more than just what happens during your childhood. And um, there was one time I remember, my mom responded in a really great way. And so I wanna share this story. Um, I had just gone into a fight with my sister. I went upstairs to my room. I was crying upset. And my mom came upstairs and she's, she's the kind of mom who's like, snuggle on in. We'll, we'll cuddle. (laughs) We'll talk. (laughs) And so, and so she like wrote down on a little note card traits about me. And she wrote down like beautiful hair, wonderful soccer player, um, intelligent. And then she stuck it on, stuck it up to like a, a little poster board that I keep right above my bed. And she said, you know, Jenna, you're going to be okay. You're going to go on to have lots of opportunities. I don't worry about you. You know, I don't worry about you. And she said, my hope is that by 30, Lauren will be on her own with an aide that checks in on her daily. And she said, think about who you're comparing yourself to. And she didn't say it in a mean way, Mm -hmm. but she just said it in a way where I kind of started to realize that no matter what happens in life, I'm always going to have the the advantage Um, because Lauren's going to spend her, she is spending her life working on skills that come natural to me that I don't even think about. And when you think about it in that sense, you start to realize, okay, what happens here isn't that big of a, big of a deal. It's just a small blip. And I still have the rest of my life to live. And you know, there may come there may come a point where me and my brother do take my sister in when my parents pass away in the future, but there's still a lot of life that we can we can live, you know. I I can have kids, I can, you know, and, and when you think about it in that way, your perspective widens. And I think that that did help me at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so nice. What a great mom you have. Yeah. <laughs> I only hope that my daughter will says those things about me later in life. Like my mom was really great. And <laughs> this is what she did. That was great. But no, I love that. Um, not only that she came up and talked to you immediately, uh, because that's some of the things that I worry about. Like sometimes I give it a, just a little bit of time before I head up because I, I don't want to smother her. And I want to give her her chance to sit in her feelings and to like, feel what she wants to feel and not come up and have, hopefully have her, you know, not perceive that I'm trying to fix it. And I'm trying to, you know, do what I would do with her brother and like, okay, here's what we need to do. Let's do, let's do this or to talk about it if she's not ready. But I do try to make it a point to get up to her or to get to her, um, pretty quickly after, because I mean, depression scares me greatly. And, um, I don't, I don't like her being alone ever. Because I just panic that her mind and her thoughts could just run away from her and it could be a a pretty severe situation. Um, And I know that you had mentioned pretty openly in some of your blogs about suicidal thoughts and things like that. Was that a regular occurrence or that was just a, you know, a short instance, short stint of the depression?
1: I would say when I was in ninth grade, that's when things started to get pretty bad for me. Um, and I, this like breaks my heart looking back on it now. But I, you know, I, I remember googling like, you know, siblings of autism suicide. You know, like is this something that other kids think about? Um, you know, what are there any statistics? And I, I could actually couldn't find any statistics. But um, yeah, I I think for me, me and my you know my sister called me names a lot and. I didn't feel that my parents took it seriously. Um, and I think like the fact that you're aware of it and that you want to help her and that you are there for her, I think is just a great, like a wonderful, wonderful thing because she knows she has you as a support. Um, but I did, I did struggle. And I think with suicide, like that's or suicidal feelings, you know, it's always a, it's a temporary solution to permanent problem, you know, that saying, um, and I think it's something that you sometimes just have to go through. Uh, there's not, you know, I don't know if you can necessarily like fast forward through that, but I think it's important to try and try and just get through it. Um, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And one of the things that I struggled a lot with in my childhood I'm, I'm a Christian. And so that's, you know, I believe in God and that's a really big part of my life. And when you have a sibling who you should be able to love, but you're really struggling, Uh it makes you feel like, does God love me too? Uh Like, um, and I, I struggled a lot with that. And there came a point where I realized like, you know, Jesus still loves me, even if I'm having problems with my sister like that's its own separate issue and you know no even if my sister didn't have special needs we probably would still be fighting to some extent we probably would still you know wouldn't be a smooth easy relationship maybe in some ways but I think with depression it's just something where where I leaned on my friends I played soccer that helped I tried to, you know, I tried to journal. So those are some of like the practical things that helped me. And then it's just, it's a day by day thing where I think, mm-hmm. you know, she may, your your daughter may not feel okay right now, but five years from now, I think with suicide, suicidal thoughts, you have to live with the idea that, you know, maybe I'm not okay today, but I want to live for the version of me five years from now, mm-hmm. who I know is thriving, who I know is, you know, has a better relationship with my sibling who I know is going to be okay, who I know wants to go to this college or this school or apply to this job. And I think that's just how I worked through it. Mm -hmm. Did you have any, um, I talked to a few
0: other adults, um, adult siblings um, on the, on several episodes, and they were mentioning that their, their childhood part wasn't as bad, but I think for them, they started to feel, um, guilty and that they had a lot of guilt feelings when they did get older and they went off to college and then like your brother got engaged or got in relationships and then knowing that they can have kids and, and do all of the things like you had mentioned before that, you know, there's a ton of opportunity for you that your sister won't have the opportunity to do. Um, and, she, one in particular, um, Amanda, she felt very, very guilty about leaving her brother behind to go to college and to, you know, just experience life. And, um, you know, I can't, I've not, I am not i do not have a sibling with special needs, so I can't totally relate to those things. But is that something that crosses your mind? Although, you know, you know that your life is yours to live and you have a lot of chances to do really big things and important things that make you happy. Do you feel Somewhat guilty still, or at all, about your sister being, you know, with your mom and just kind of being left behind from you and your brother moved on.
1: Yeah, I think um, recently, before the pandemic, my sister um, lives with my dad, so he's her primary caregiver, mm-hmm. and that's kind of kind of came out of my parents are divorced; they don't get along; right. they each had different <laughs> ideas for Lauren's care. It's this very complicated situation. (laughs) So she, she lives with my dad now. Mm -hmm. And I went to visit her and I dropped off some stuff for my dad's birthday. He likes lemon meringue pie. And, you know, I got him some different goodies and candies and I dropped it off. And my sister, I think she, she is depressed a little bit, I think at least, um, because she is 31 and she doesn't have, I think a lot of friends. I don't think she has a, a life where she's thriving or su- successful in every capacity that she could be in. And I gave her the pie and she said, Oh, we are, you know, dad already got something. And she looked at the pie <laughs> and she said, what a waste. And it was one of those comments where yeah. my sister, my sister makes whatever comment comes to her yeah. mind and she just blurt, blurts it out. And I, when I drove away, I was, you know really sad um of in course. just yeah. just because i think when you're thinking negative when you don't have when you're not handed the the easiest kind of portion in life you can easily slip into depression and you can you know slip into just feeling negative all the time and i think that that's something my sister deals with now and you know it's especially effect it's affected she does her best when she's getting the best care,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I can't say right now she's, you know, getting the best care. That's you know people who are pushing her to really, um, you know, stretch herself and help her in all of the different like deficits that she has. Um, but that you know, I don't think I felt, to be honest, particularly guilty about going away to school. I definitely mm-hmm. dealt with a lot of heartache, um, just with my parents not being together, not being on the same page about her care. That was sort of what I was dealing with when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, I do feel like, you know, I don't wanna say I, I feel guilty necessarily, but I just feel bad for her. Um, that's, that's mostly what I feel now, I think.
0: Have you guys talked about the future um, with your parents uh, for you and your brother um, and her care for Lauren's care in the future? Um, when they're no longer able to do it or no longer with us um, do you guys have a plan in place or do your parents have a plan in place that includes you and your brother? Or do you know anything about it?
1: Well, we've talked about it to some extent. Uh, My mom has a will written up and my brother is going to be like Lauren's trustee over Mm -hmm. the money that my, you know, uh, that she would get if my, if, and when my mom passes away and Kind of the the game plan is whatever parent. This is this sounds so strange, but I, whatever. It does, but we have to think about
0: it, and it's awful. Yeah. And I just you know I'm just mm-hmm. always curious when parents yeah. approach this with their adult kids.
1: For us, it's mostly um, my dad is not in his best health as my mom is. Mm-hmm. So thinking about this, it's not something everybody thinks about, but. Just the few conversations we've had is that there will probably come a time when my mom is then Lauren's guardian and hoping, you know, we're, we are hoping that there will be some plan in place where Lauren could live on her own and have a full-time aide that takes care of her. Um, Because my sister, she has to have reminders to take her medicine, to shower, to, Mm -hmm. um, she won't even, there's been times where she's gotten dehydrated because there's been no one around to tell her drink water, you know, and that's something that she doesn't do on her own, really, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't had, you know, we haven't, I can't say we've had really deep discussions yet about it, maybe in the next, when you know, when, I want to say when death's knocking on the door, but maybe, you know, in the future we will have it, mm-hmm. but um, right now my parents they are still, my parents are in their 60s, so they're still young. They're and, young.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
1: They're young. <laughs>
0: yes, they are. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, eventually. you know, I never, I never want to um, have that. Well, we're not ready to have that discussion. Kendall said, I don't want to have that discussion right now. I don't want to talk about that. Um, and it, it pains us as parents. We want to live forever. And um, I, I know that no one will ever take care of Skylar as good as I can. I think a close second would be my daughter, but I want her to have her own life. I mean again, kind of what you said earlier, it feels like she's been trapped a little bit and in, in blossoming and growing into her own person in the four walls of our home. Um, and just kind of being surrounded by autism stuff every minute of every day, she can't really escape it. So, you know, when she's out on her own and living her life, I don't want her to constantly be worrying about her brother's trust or like who's taking care of him and what therapist do I need to call and his medications and all the things that a mother would do. I don't want her to turn into a, a young mother of her brother for the rest of his life and her life. So that's, that's a tough
1: one. I do. I do have a question for you, actually. Um, my family is kind of, kind of rolled out group homes as being an option just because my, my mother has visited some and she, doesn't like the way that, that they're run, at least where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that a consensus among other autism moms that group homes maybe aren't the best option? How, how do you feel about yeah, that? I mean,
0: of course I can only speak for myself, but for us, it's not an option right now. Again, kind of, you know, because the options are very limited in our area. The, the only, Kind of group home like that for Skyler, um, assuming he would be older if that was even a possibility. Our nursing home type facilities, um, because he is nonverbal and because he is um, non-toilet trained, we are limited quite a bit on mm-hmm. places that he can go. Because, I mean, let's be honest: even nursing homes, the care sometimes is really terrible, and you know they're not taken care of and changed regularly, and all those things. Um, that gives me a ton of anxiety and I lose a lot of sleep at night knowing that should my daughter not be able to care for him? Um, and we're not around, I don't know where he would go. And I, it, it pains me that what I have heard of a lot of group homes and a lot of situations, it's not, it's not great. (laughs) It's not great Mm -hmm. at all. They just don't get treated like they should. So, I mean, I'm a huge advocate in doing your research, like your mom visiting constantly places, new places can open all the time. And we've, you know, got plenty of time still, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a sad reality that it's either in your home as long as possible. And if that's not an option, you're pretty limited on Mm -hmm. where to send them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like the idea of it because I want him under my sight all the time. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Like I said, no one can do it as good as I can. I know that. So, um, mm-hmm. well, you know, you have mentioned um, too uh, in your bio and, and in the blog that you're currently employed with the agency that supported your sister for many years. Um, so tell me how you kind of got into wanting to do that <laughs> after everything you've been through. Mm. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. Well, I came home from college um, with two degrees and no, you know, looking for a job and it's actually right down the street from my house. And it's my local intermediate unit, which I guess everybody has those in each state. Um, and, yeah, and what is per- that
0: exactly? Can you describe that a little bit? Cause I hadn't heard that term.
1: Yeah. So it is an educational coordinating agency that helps kids with special needs. And it, we, uh, we usually work with like schools, um, school districts, and we have like our own behavioral health department where kids can get their uh, like therapists from. And so we do like a lot of different things. We do uh, like uh, sort of charity work. um, And so we have a lot of different special programs for kids. And so we are kind of like a conglomerate. We do a lot of different things for kids with disabilities or any kind of uh, learning issues. And so I ended up applying when I came home from school, maybe like six months out of college. And I got in, got my interviews done and they wanted me. And so I work in our desktop publishing department. And then I also assist with our behavioral health department. So I work on psychological evaluations. I don't work directly with the kids though. Um, some people do, but I don't. And so I've learned so much more about, I think, working, I like hearing clients stories there on, you know, on a behavioral plan, which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, or on a psych, psych eval, you have the mental status, the recommendations, family history, um, you know, their current strengths and weaknesses. And so I'm really getting a good picture of day to day, what special needs kids are struggling with and kids today, they're struggling with, um, you know, getting, bullied in school still, that's still a really big issue. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just learning more about what medications they're on, um, and just what we're doing for them. And it's really exciting to me too, because I'm able to kind of understand more about my sister and why her medication is so important and, uh, just, why these, you know, these goals are so important. And my family really had a great experience with our IU and Lauren got services from there until she was 21. And then she phased out and now she gets her services from uh, the PA autism waiver. And uh, yeah, we had a great experience and I'm just happy to have a job that's kind of immersed me more in autism, so to mm-hmm. speak.
0: It's k- kind of ironic that it's come full circle really, because I feel mm-hmm. like your input is probably com- so valuable to everyone that works there, that does these evaluations, these behavior plans, because like from the beginning, you can express to them like, are there siblings? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? I mean, I'm not sure how much input you have, but it would be so beneficial for them to really hear you out um, and you know provide your input to those to those plans. I'm sure the families would appreciate it greatly, that things that they didn't even think about, like we've said, that we don't, don't think about when it comes to those things.
1: Yeah. And I've seen, yeah. And and siblings still, that, that comes up a lot too, where siblings are struggling or, you know, I'll learn about a client might have aggression targeted at um, the mom or targeted at the sibling and that's a a stressor in the home. And so there's still, you know, a lot of, a lot of individual problems that everybody is working on and working through. Yeah. Well, um, you know,
0: kind of, I guess in, in closing before I want you to plug the things that you're working on too, and your blog, but, um, if, if there were parents who had their neurotypical siblings listening to this episode, is there anything that you could share with them, you know, a pearl or two about maybe what you wished you would have known when you were younger? I know we covered some of the things, um, earlier about just coping skills and, um, behavioral plans and, and focusing on the siblings a little bit in those. But, um, you know, I just kind of want to give some advice, I guess, to those kids out there that feel like maybe they're stuck in this bubble of an autism life and they can't get out of it um, that you could reflect back on.
1: Yeah. So everything I needed to hear, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I, I grew up like without, I grew up kind of like in the eighth grade social media was just starting, but anytime I Googled like autism and autism siblings of people with autism, I got nothing. Like all I had was the organization Autism Speaks. That was it. And I know everybody has their own opinion on that organization, but um, I, and the only things that I got were interviews where neurotypical siblings were saying, oh, my sibling is a gift. It's really great. And I internalized, a lot of those, a lot of that messaging and that made me feel like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Why is this such a struggle? Why, you know, why am I not able to handle this well? And so what I wanted at that time was, you know, someone who was 25 who had been through what I had been through and to hear, hear their thoughts. And so I'm really glad to be able to do that. And so what I would have wanted to hear was that you're not alone. You're not on an Island there are so many siblings who have been through what you're, what you're going through and understand where you're coming from. No one is given a, a manual on how to be a good sibling to someone with special needs. And likewise, our parents aren't given a manual. You're going through a lot of firsts just as we are. And so, you know, take it easy on your parents. Cause they're, they're trying. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. And <laughs> I would say, I want to share like one last story. Uh, that's pretty like personal to my family, but when I was, I think in high school, Lauren ended up getting kidney stones. And so if you've ever gotten kidney stones, you know, that sometimes you can, sometimes you can pass them. Sometimes you need surgery. Mm -hmm. And so she needed surgery and she got a trach put in as a baby. So she has like webbed skin here. She has like a very small airway. And so the team used a breathing tube that ended up actually being too big for her throat. They used a specialty laryngeal airway and it ended up being too big. And so she she was going in for this routine procedure to get a stent placed in and she ended up um, exacerbating. And so fluid filled her lungs. And it was this very scary experience because she coded on the table Mm -hmm. and they had to work on her and revive her basically and when my mom came home and told me about that, I just remember feeling really like numb and just in shock Correct, <laughs> um, because I had given up hope that like me and Lauren would ever have a great relationship. And what I needed was the sibling who had been through it and who could tell me like, it is possible to have a good relationship with your sibling. It is possible. You can find joy in the messiness. You, you can have a good relationship with your sibling. It's going to take work and it's not going to be easy, but it is possible. And we needed, you know, at that time, this is something I write in my book, but we didn't need death. We needed life. We needed our relationship to be reinvigorated. And I would say like, that's really important for siblings to know. And also that you know, life's going to be unfair. I think one of the biggest issues about being a sibling is the unfairness in the home that you, you know, you don't always get a fair shake and your sibling may get away with things that you don't, um, and behavior might be tolerated, but at the end of the day, you will always have the advantage in life compared to your sibling. And knowing that, you know, that should really impact the way you interact with them. What matters to you me and my sister fought, like we would fight over what song to put on things that are so trivial when I look back on it now, but we were fighting like it was a, you know, a life and death matter, but we didn't, we didn't even know what we were fighting over back then. Um, you know, cause we were fighting over, I think far deeper things than just which song to put on, you know, we had <laughs> a lot of resentment <laughs> built up. Um, so, but at the end of the day, um, you know, your sibling relationship is precious. It is, it is meaningful and friends are going to come and go. And the only thing that you have really is family at the end of the day. And so that's what I would say <laughs> to siblings. I, out love there.
0: That. I love all of that. Gosh. I mean, it's such a beautiful perspective and the younger that you can get your message out, you know, to the younger kids, the better everyone will be. And, um, yeah. I just, I respect that so much. Parents are trying, siblings are trying. And I, I, I truly believe at least in our case, and I'm sure with Lauren's case too, that our kids with autism don't want to be mean. They don't want to hit you and pull your hair or me. I mean, he hits me too, a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, they just lack such control over their body and, what their body does. They can't, you know, their brain isn't telling them to do that. They just, it's just a, it's a stim. It's a tick. It's a, just a coping mechanism. They don't really mean to cause harm and hurt. I know that they love all of the members of their family so much. And, you know, maybe with Lauren, it's just, it's so hard for her because she recognizes that you're able to do things that she struggles to do and she's jealous and she, you know, doesn't know how to you know, share those feelings other than through negativity and and jealousy and, you know, saying things that are hurtful and she probably doesn't mean it to be that way. They're just very matter of fact sometimes with the words that they choose. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. Oh man. Well, appreciating the good things about Mm -hmm. our siblings is the best way to go. I'm sure your brother annoys you too, from time to time. Yeah. 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 Sometimes
1: (laughs) Sometimes
0: <laughs> throw him under the bus for a minute. So um, obviously I mentioned before that you have the blog called the sibling diary. And if people are not following you, they should be on Facebook. I'll link up that um, page that you have to um, access all of your blogs. And is it uh, also the sibling diary.com for your blog page? Okay. Yes. I'll link that up as well. And then you've mentioned um, that you're working on a memoir. Is it about... Uh, being a sibling in your family with autism, or is it a culmination of things?
1: Yeah. So my working title right now is called flipping the behavioral plan, a sibling's perspective on Asperger's. And what I've done is I've taken a goal from one of my sister's behavioral plans. And I've made that each, each chapter is taken from one of her goals. And uh, so for instance, yeah. So for instance, like the first chapter is Lauren needs to tell others where she's going because, you know, like others, she struggled with elopement and she's just, you know, you turn around and Lauren's gone. Um, And I tell the time actually where we were kids, we rode our bikes up the street and Lauren broke into a neighbor's house and (laughs) me being like her little sister, I followed her inside and uh, the homeowners didn't know we were in there. And then at one point, Lauren just, you know, in all of her grace, her Aspergian grace, she just runs for the door without trying to be secretive. And I follow her after, follow out after. And, you know, I heard the homeowners just, you know, gasp. They they were shocked that we were in their home. We wrote home and we didn't tell our parents. So the whole memoir that I'm still, you know, working on, and I'm, yeah. I'm hoping to get it traditionally published so that I can have people read it and um, hopefully understand what the sibling experience is like. It's just more of that, you know, just our whole life and um, kind of seeing how her autistic behaviors impacted our relationship, you know, and in a sense, they're kind of her personality and autism are sort of an intertwined in a sense, but mm-hmm. this doing it this way, this structure has really helped me, has really helped inform just our life, our story, our relationship and helped me to see more than just, this is Lauren, this is also Lauren and a little bit of her autism too.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think so much is needed. We need continual education. I love all the children's books that are coming out, the memoirs that are coming out, and we don't have very many from a sibling perspective. So more power to you. Um, I'm excited. (laughs) And please let us all know as soon as you get that sent off to the publisher so we can start pre-ordering it. So I think it's a wonderful tool that we need. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate your time so much and your perspective. There's so much to be learned, um, from every member of a family with someone with a special need, because we all have our own interpretations and takeaways and experiences. So yours is so valid and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.